Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us bad. My name is Bill, this is episode 101. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2018. I'm bored with this year already. When's it going to be 2019? I hope everyone's uh, holiday was good. I hope everyone's New Year is bright. I'm excited to be in triple digits on the podcast here, episode 101. Not 101 Dalmatians. No Dalmatians in this one. Because I made them all into a coat. Wow, that was dark. Starting off the New Year dark, I guess. Maybe this is my new 2018 podcasting persona. I'll start wearing black leather and... I I don't know, get some... uh, uh, Wind chimes or something. Why wind chimes? That's like the least dark thing ever. Uh, I don't know, something that makes sort of an eerie, mystical sound. And uh, uh, maybe I'll... Uh, I don't know, sacrifice a chicken or something on an upcoming episode. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. So what's new, guys? I hope you've all made and have not yet ruined your New Year's gaming resolutions, gaming hopes that you have for the New Year. I don't really have any... I don't really have any resolutions of any kind, I guess, because I'm perfect as I am. You know, I just kind of think it can be a year-round thing to try and make yourself better, to try and make your life better, to try and do things in a, uh, a better, more efficient, more productive, more helpful, uh, more pleasant way. Uh, and that can include your gaming life, too. Just because a game is there, you don't have to play it if you don't want to play it. And you also shouldn't feel bad about playing the games that you do like. So, there you go. That's my PSA for the new year. If you'd like to share your New Year's gaming resolutions, uh, feel free to send those to me. Now, like I said, I think resolutions are a year-round thing, so I don't mind reading them in, later in January or March or June or whenever you want to send them to me. If you have thoughts on this whole subject, let me know. All right, what should we do now? Hey, let's have a Mad Mike Hughes update. If you recall, we've been talking about Mad Mike for a while. He is the limo driver out in California who has, uh, with funding from organizations that support the idea that the Earth is flat. Uh, He's gotten money raised for his project to fly his homemade rocket high enough in the air so that he can get photos that prove that the Earth is flat. Uh, He ran into some mechanical problems around Thanksgiving. The uh, mobile home he was using as a launch pad broke down, and then after that it was too windy to, uh, to launch. Too windy, man. Can't launch. So let's check in and see if he has actually gotten that done at this point. Are we, in fact, living on a flat Earth? Well, the answer to that is, well, the jury's still out on that. There's been no real news the last couple of weeks that I can see. Looks like the last articles were from the end of November where Mad Mike was saying, nope, I'm still planning to do it, just waiting for the conditions to be right. So for now, my listeners, you're just going to have to, you know, sit on your thumbs and grit your teeth at you know, your holiday gatherings that may still be going on when people are, are rambling on about how great it is to live on a globe. And you're just going to have to grit your teeth and, and, and know that Mad Mike is going to come through eventually and he's going to vindicate you. Or he's going to get eaten by the dragon that lives on the edge of the earth. It's kind of a close call. What else is going on? You recall, especially, this is mildly spoilery, if you listen to my Christmas episode, you'll recall that uh, IDW put out in 2017, uh, which is last year now, uh, Centipede, a board game based on iconic arcade game uh, and Atari game. 
uh, Centipede. Uh, now they've got another one coming out in May, I believe, based on Missile Command. Missile Command is one of my personal favorites, Atari games. Uh, I've always liked that game. It was one of the ones that I had as a kid. I still like to play it. I think it's mega fun. Your mileage may vary. And so I am actually a little bit excited. I, I was, I, I guess this is sort of a, a uh, after-the-fact spoiler, I was a little underwhelmed with the Centipede board game, frankly. I, I think I conveyed that a little bit in the episode. If you haven't listened to the Christmas episode yet, uh, I kind of spoiled it mildly for you at this point, but sorry. But go listen to it anyway, because I talk about the board game, and I think I make it clear that I'm maybe a little underwhelmed with it, and I still feel that way, you know, however many days later. I'm recording these episodes on a little bit different production schedule, uh, these holiday episodes, because of, you know, holidays and travel and all that. So, uh, but it's been a few days since I recorded that episode, and I still am not, have no particular desire to go play Centipede, the board game, again. I'm intrigued by Missile Command, the board game, however. One, because I really like the Missile Command video game. It sounds a little bit like maybe a cross between Battleship and Risk. It's a three to six player game. Uh, each player builds and deploys their supply of missiles, nukes, and interceptors on a mission to destroy as many enemy cities as they can while trying to protect their own. Each round, players negotiate with each other, forge temporary alliances and truces, or trading funds, or, or trade funds and missiles. They secretly plot their attacks behind their radar screens and finally reveal their attacks, and destruction rains down from the skies. The player can best protect their cities while destroying their opponents wins the game. So I'm intrigued by this. Uh, I'm looking forward to it coming out. I am sure that I will talk about it on the podcast. If anyone else plays this and wants to jump in and tell me what you think of it, of course, I will be happy to hear that. If you've played the Centipede board game, let me know what you think. I thought Centipede, they tried too hard to recreate the video game in board game form, and that's it just didn't work for me. If you wanted to make a board game based on you know, loosely on the concept of centipede, giant centipede attacking you. You could probably figure out a way to do that without trying to literally make the video game, you know, you shooting at segments, uh, shooting at a centipede trying to break off individual segments until it's completely destroyed before he comes down and lands on you. Um, that's a video game concept. That's not a board game. So I wasn't crazy about it, but I, I have high hopes for Missile Command. What else? Oh, this is kind of cool. A lot of us remember the Starcade show from when we were kids in the 80s, or at least when we were around in the 80s. I show the original, I think anyway, the original show where you literally sit there and watch other people play video games, which of course is a popular thing to do on YouTube and whatnot now. I would say this is probably the show that started it. And apparently Shout Factory now has all four seasons of Starcade. I'll be honest, until I saw that press release or article or whatever I saw, uh, I didn't know there were four seasons necessarily, but evidently there were, and Shout Factory TV has it. So if you're sick of your relatives by this point at the end of the holiday season and you want some alone time, uh, go hole up in your room with your iPad and uh, check out Starcade. And other news, man, there's a lot of news this week. I didn't really do news in the Christmas episode, and so I'm trying to, I guess I'm kind of playing catch up. This was kind of cool. Archie Comics. Yes, Archie Comics is still around. Uh, I, like a lot of people, read Archie Comics as a kid. Um, and I've even checked out as an adult some of the different things that they've tried to do with the Archie, the, the Riverdale gang, right? The Archie and Jughead and Veronica and Betty and Reggie and, I don't know, the other ones. Pop Tate and uh, Mr. 
Wembley? Weatherby. Mr. We Weatherby, the principal, and Miss Grundy, the, the teacher, and... Uh, wow, I remember a lot of these people. And Sabrina, the teenage witch, which was sort of an odd... The, the first time they really, I think, tried to make Archie, you know, quote-unquote, supernatural, sci-fi, cartoony, as opposed to straight-up, kind of realistic in a cartoon. But... Uh, anyway, so they've done a lot. Of th they did a lot of things uh, with those characters uh, when I was a kid. Uh, in the years that I've been an adult, they've done other, even wilder things. They had a series where the entire town of Riverdale turns into zombies. Uh, they had a series where they imagined the characters, what their lives would be like as adults. Um, I think they have revamped the comic. I don't know if they're still doing it or if they if it's totally replaced the original comics. Or if it's a parallel series or what, but they have totally revamped how they draw the comics so that the characters look more real, like real people. Uh, that's kind of weird. But anyway, Archie Comics is doing another thing now, a totally non-Archie thing. They are rebooting the venerable uh, antique Dick Tracy comic strip. The Dick Tracy comic book first appeared, er, comic strip first appeared October fourth, nineteen thirty-one in the Detroit Mirror newspaper, character created by cartoonist Chester Gould, who drew this strip all the way up until 1977, followed by Max Allen Collins, well-known writer. He actually lives not that far from me, as it turns out. But he took over in 77 from uh, Chester Gould, along with Rick Fletcher. Currently, the new strip, paper strip is still there. You can still read it in some papers. Uh, Mike Curtis and uh, Staten, Staten being Joe Staten. Uh, Mike Curtis and Joe Staten do the comic strip now character also appeared in five movie serials from 37 through 41. Six movies, uh, including most famously, and I remember going to the theater to see this, the Warren Beatty movie in 1990. Uh, there were also apparently three television series based on Dick Tracy. Uh, I don't remember any of those. So this new comic book series is going to be in comic books is going to be focused on Dick Tracy as a young cop? Secret agent? I don't know. I guess I'm not sure what he is. Um, he's got a, that two-way wrist TV which is cool. That seems like a spy thing. It's going to be written by Archie Comics uh, co-president Alex Segura and Michael Mordecai. He has worked on Image Comics, uh, Roche Limit, and Hoax Hunters, and the upcoming novel Black Star Renegades. Art will be provided by New York-based illustrator Thomas Petilli, who also worked on covers for the Riverdale and the Archie's comics. Uh, so that's cool. Looks like it's supposed to debut in April. I don't know that I'll run on and get it necessarily. I've never been a Dick Tracy fan in particular. But if anyone else checks these out, uh, let me know what you think of them. Uh, what else is going on? I am sad to say that I am not $50,000 richer, which I assumed I would be by this time. I, uh, like a lot of people, submitted a, what I am still certain is the correct answer to Oreo's mystery flavor contest. I just tried to pull this up on my phone, and the first article that came up was headlined, Oreo's Mystery Flavor is a Soul-Crushing Disappointment. So they had this contest where they, they sold all these packages of Oreos that looked like just regular chocolate cookie Oreos uh, with the white filling, except they tasted different. And the label was on the package was Mystery Flavor. You had to guess what the flavor was. And then you send in your, your answer to Oreo, and at the end of the contest period, they announce a winner, and the winner gets 50000 bucks, and like, I think five people get 10000 I sent in the correct answer, which clearly was black licorice, but 
I think in a vast conspiracy to screw me over. The announcement that came out from Nabisco in early December was that no, the flavor is actually Fruity Pebbles cereal. That's what's in the cream, apparently. I don't know who won the contest. I don't really care, because it wasn't me. This article says the awarding was supposed to be announced on or around December 11th. I could go look, but like I said, what do I care? It's not me. If you are the winner of this contest, let me know, and more importantly, buy me something. Because you owe me. You're clearly part of the conspiracy. It was unquestionably black licorice was the flavor. So I'm a little disappointed by that. It's hard to get up in the morning. Uh, What else is going on? I saw Star Wars The Last Jedi over the weekend. As I record this, the movie just came out last week. The end of last week. And we went over the weekend, like, like, uh, the, the, it came out on the Thursday night. We went on Saturday. It was great. It was not a typical Star Wars movie by design. It was clearly recognizable as a Star Wars movie, but it was not, it wasn't The Force Awakened, which was all fan servicey and arguably a retelling to some degree of the original Star Wars movie from 77. Uh, updated and different characters and stuff, but uh, the beats were very similar. The, the tone was very similar. This movie is not that. This movie is also not the second movie in the original trilogy, The Empire Strikes Back, right? It's, it's not trying to retell that story, thankfully. And the, the tone is a little different. The pacing's a little different than what you would typically get in a Star Wars movie. I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of critics really liked it. A lot of fans were angry that it wasn't The Force Awakens again, which is crazy to me, because longtime fans of a thing, whether it's Star Wars or Doctor Who or whatever, if they've been watching for a long time, they know all the tropes, they know all the uh, cliches, they know all the beats that are going to happen. And after a while, they start to complain about it, because they're like, nah, come on, we've seen this a thousand times before, do something different. And then when the people who make that thing do something different, those same fans get really PO'd because they did something different. So you can't please uh, everybody all the time. Definitely sci-fi fans. So I get it. I'm totally fine that we didn't get The Force Awakens again. I'm glad we didn't get The Force Awakens again, as much as I like that movie for the fun ride that it is. Last Jedi is great, and I would encourage you, like you guys haven't seen it, but if you haven't, go check it out. If you're ever even a casual fan of Star Wars, Give this one a shot. The way they left things in the movie, I am kind of intrigued what they're going to do with Episode Nine, which everyone is assuming is the end of this trilogy, but, I mean, who knows? No one ever said, Disney never said this was only going to be a trilogy. There could be more. We don't know. Or maybe Nine is it, at least as far as the this story. Of course, they've got the Han Solo movie coming. Uh, they did Rogue One a year or two ago, and I'm sure they've got other ideas. But as far as this story, Ray and Finn and Poe and uh, Kylo Ren and all that stuff. We're assuming the third one's a trilogy because they tend to do these Star Wars movies in trilogies. But we don't know that. Could be seven more movies. Man, I hope there is. What else? I got a little feedback on recent things that I have said and done on the podcast. In episode 99, I talked about the game Reactor. And I think I made some comments about how I don't think of Parker Brothers as a video game maker. I think of them as a board game maker, and it just still seems odd, even though obviously there are a number of Parker Brothers video games, it seems odd to me to talk about one. Jimmy G from uh, Pie Factory chimed in to uh, point out that it's likely when Parker Brothers got the rights to do Qbert, Reactor was thrown in on the deal, because both of those are Gottlieb games. Um, 
I hadn't thought about that. I'd kind of forgotten that Hubert was a Parker Brothers item, which kind of raises in my eyes the estimation of Parker Brothers video game output because Hubert, of course, is an iconic, very fun game. So uh, thanks for pointing that out, uh, Jimmy. I also heard from the other half of Pie Factory, uh, Sean, uh, not about Reactor. He wanted to talk about a thing that he and I may be the only two people in the world who want to talk about this, but and I've already talked about it on the show, but I'm going to talk about it some more. Uh, it's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, or as I referred to it in episode 99, uh, that show about that Otter Boy. So he sent me an email, Sean did, not the Otter Boy. That'd be cool. Man, if Emmett Otter sent me an email, how cool would that be? So the subject line of the email is, When the River Meets Disney. Sean writes, Just wanted to give you some clarification on Otter Boy. The reason Kermit specifically was targeted for getting the axe was simply a matter of property. Uh, I was talking about how excited I was this Christmas season to watch Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas again because I could finally watch it uncorrupted, meaning without the uh, scenes of Kermit the Frog edited out. Uh, he primarily shows up at the beginning to kind of introduce the Emmett Otter story and then at the end to kind of wrap things up. I think he might have a cameo at another point that I'm forgetting at the moment, but in honor of the 40th anniversary of that special, Henson Productions recently put out a DVD with all of that stuff put back in. So uh, Sean wanted to offer some some details about how this all kind of went down, maybe. Uh, He says, some time ago the Jim Henson Company sold the rights to the Muppets to Disney, uh, which we all know, but the Jim Henson Company still retained ownership of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, since the characters are not part of the Muppets family. But who was? The Frog. So because Henson Company no longer owned Kermit, they would have to lose his scenes, unless they wanted to pay a licensing fee to Disney. Can't imagine licensing fees for Disney characters are cheap. Yeah, you got that right, Sean. I I have no doubt Disney uh, takes its uh, cut whenever it can. He says, I don't know what deal was reached to bring back a fully intact Emmett Otter film, but frankly, I don't care. If it's how I remember it on HBO, then I'm a happy little boy. Uh, I think Sean and I both had the same childhood experience of watching Emmett Otter over and over and over again on HBO uh, as kids. Um, I don't know about him, but I, I would almost watch it as a triple feature as a kid, along with, I don't remember what it was called, but it was the Red Skelton Christmas special. He did one with him and Vincent Price. And it was Red Skelton's, I think he's called Clem Cadiddlehopper, kind of this hobo clown character thing that he used to do. Red Skelton, for you kids, was a famous comedian, actually, even long before me, before I was around, but he was still alive when I was a kid. So I knew who he was, because he would pop up on things like Muppet stuff every once in a while, which is mostly how I knew who he was. Uh, but he did a Christmas special at some point when I was a kid with Vincent Price, and I, so I'd watch the heck out of that, and then I would also watch Rich Little's A Christmas Carol, where he played all the parts in the classic Scrooge tale, and he would play each part as a different impersonation that he had in his act. So it's all celebrities of that of the 70s, basically, or who were still big in the 70s. Paul Lind, Johnny Carson, George Burns, uh, you know, a bunch of other people like that. Groucho Marx. And he would do each character from A Christmas Carol as one of these celebrities. And I watched the heck out of that thing, too, as a kid. So thanks for that uh, update, Sean, or that information. I probably didn't get into that when I was talking about Otter Boy a couple weeks ago because I was just so darn excited to have Otter Boy back in my life. And I can tell you are, too. All right, what's left? 
couple more plugs. Probably the last time for this holiday season that I'll be doing these plugs. Uh, first, as I have been talking about for several weeks, please do consider still checking out my novel in the Saint Nick of Time. I know Christmas is over, but it's a good book all year round. And you can start planning your gifts for next season for your friends. In the Saint Nick of Time is, is my uh, Santa Claus story for adults. Uh, please go consider checking it out. Also, right now, you can read for free an essay that I wrote. Every year around this time, I, I used to have a blog that I updated fairly regularly. I haven't been doing that so much since I started the podcast. But every year, I dust the thing off, and I publish a post around this time, which sort of summarize, summarizes world events for the previous year. And I present it in the style of the classic children's book, Good Night Moon, by Margaret Wise Brown. Um... So go check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Basically, it's williamallenpepper.wordpress.com. It's a fun little article. I like to do that every year. It's short, and it's free. So go check that out. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Tapper by Bally Midway, 1983. It was an arcade game originally from Bally Midway. It was ported to the Atari and many other systems. I actually have a legit manual, paper manual for this game. It's got sort of this harried, sweaty, deer-in-the-headlights-looking bartender on the front with sort of half-empty, or more than half-empty, uh, soda glasses. Uh, that's sort of the wink-wink uh, of this game, right? You're a bartender in a bar serving up mugs full of soda. Yeah, because certainly we're not having our, you know, children of the 80s play this video game where you're serving beer. He's also got, I'm noticing in this picture, if you look at the, uh, cover art for this episode, it's a picture of this cover of this manual, and I don't know what this is, these little uh, discs of, it almost looks like a, like a big salami sliced up or something next to him. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Oh, wait, wait, maybe that's a stack of beer coasters? Sorry, soda coasters? I don't know what that is. If anyone knows what that's supposed to be, let me know. So here's the uh, synopsis of what's going on in this game, according to the manual. You are a frenzied bartender trying to keep the never-ending flow of thirsty customers well-watered. You'll have to keep slinging sodas and occasionally guess which cans of soda the soda bandit has shaken. As if that's not enough work for one bartender, try covering four different bars with a different crazy crowd in each bar. There's the Old West Saloon, the Jock Bar, the Punk Rock Bar, and the Space Bar. That's a nerdy computer joke, I'm guessing. The Space Bar. Actually, it's probably just a bar with a space theme. I'm making it extra nerdy. I get bonus points for that. Keep the sodas coming, but not too fast. You better be sure you've got a customer with, without a drink at the bar, or the drink will slide right off the bar, and no self-respecting bartender throws drinks away. Keep your eyes open for the empties the customers sling back your way. And they can slam them, too. In the game, they like instantly grab the drink and send the uh, empty flying back at you. So we're using the joystick for this one, obviously. The difficulty settings are a little more complicated than in, typical, um, than in a typical game. If both the left and right difficulty switches are set to B, you're playing a beginner game. If the left switch is on B and the right switch is on A, you're playing intermediate, and if the right switch is on B and the left switch is on A, you play the arcade level. Purposes of the field report today, you'll find that I played the beginner level, which is pretty embarrassing because I did not so great. Oh, and bo if both right and left switches are on A, then you're a Jedi Master. Wait, 
that's not right. Uh, then you're playing on the expert level. Beginner level means you get five lives with slow moving customers. Intermediate, three lives with slow moving customers. Arcade gets you five lives and fast moving customers. Expert gives you three lives with fast moving customers. There are one or two player game options. The two player game, unfortunately, is not you playing at the same time. You're taking turns. Push up on the joystick, it moves your bartender up to the next bar, uh, to the left. Bartender moves left along the bar. Right bartender moves right along the bar. Down bartender moves down to the next bar. If you move your bartender down all the way to the bottom bar, and you continue to press the joystick down, he automatically wraps around to the top bar. If you move your bartender all the way to the top bar, continue to press the joystick up, he automatically wraps around to the bottom bar. Press the action button for the bartender to fill the mugs. You have to keep the bartender in place while filling the mugs. The mugs will not go to the customers unless they are full, because I guess the customers want value for their money. There are four separate game screens. We already kind of alluded to that, right? The Old West Saloon, the Jock Bar, the Punk Bar, the Space Bar. There's also a bonus round. So I think I said four a minute ago. There's actually five game screens. The bonus round is the fifth one, uh, and it occurs between each of the four bar scenes. The scene for player one is displayed in blue in the upper left left corner of the screen. The number of lives that player has remaining is indicated by up to five mugs next to the one finger. Each time a player loses a life, one of the mugs is emptied. If you are playing a two-player game, the score for player two appears in gold at the upper left corner of the screen, and that player's number of lives is displayed next to two fingers. In the bonus round, the soda bandit challenges the bartender to a soda can version of the old-fashioned shell game. Bandit will shake five of the six soda cans on the bar and shuffle the cans around. You'll have to keep a close eye on the one can he has not shaken. When the soda bandit has stopped shuffling the cans around, using the joystick, move the bartender over to the can you think was not shaken by the soda bandit. Press the action button to open the can you have chosen. If you have chosen the unshaken soda can, you receive a 3,000 point bonus to the sound of the bonus tune. If, however, you have mistakenly opened one of the cans the soda bandit has shaken, you'll get a shot of soda sprayed in your face. The soda, by the way, on the screen is Mountain Dew. They actually put the name right on there, so there's some big-time product placement going on in this game. The soda can uh, shell game is pretty hard, actually. There's several cans, six or seven of them. One, two, three, four, five, six. yeah, seven of them. Uh, and they move pretty fast, so it's a, it's a tricky level. To get through each of the screens in the bar scenes, you have to successfully serve each of the customers as they approach you at the bar. When a customer finishes his soda, he'll sling the mug back to the bartender. The bartender must catch the empty mug, or you lose a life. At the end of a round, a trio of dancing girls appears on the stage. I'll be honest, I didn't do that well, so I didn't get beyond the Old West scene. So, the dancing girls were wearing, you know, Old West saloon girl attire. I wonder what they wear in the punk bar, uh, the space bar, and the, uh, the other one. Whatever the other one was. Jock bar. Curious. I will have to keep playing so I can uh, find out. In order to survive the demands of tending bar, there are three things you must avoid. Do not allow a customer to get all the way to the bartender's end of the bar without a drink. If you do, the disgruntled customer will sling the bartender down the bar. If the bartender jumps the gun and slings a soda where there is no customer to grab it, the mug will crash at the end of the bar. After customers at the bar have gulped down their sodas, they sling the empty mugs back to the bartender if he is still on the screen. Do not let the mugs get by. If they do, there's a subject verb agreement problem here. It should be they will crash to the bar floor. Each time any of these events occur, your bartender loses one of his lives. If you get a cowboy out the door, 
it's 50 points. If you get a sports person out the door, it's 75 points. Get a punk rocker out the door, 100 points. Get a space creature out the door, it's 150 points. Catching empty mug is 100 points. Complete the screen, get all the customers out, 1,000 points. Complete bonus rack, 3,000 points. Earn one extra life after the first 20,000 points, and another life for each 50,000 points after that. Oh, more great arcade games for the home. Uh, the manual offers Sega Buck Rogers, Planet of Zoom, Star Trek, Strategic Operations Simulator, which we've done on the podcast, Sega, Sega Congo Bongo. Speaking of Starcade, we were talking about Starcade earlier. I remember watching watching them play Congo Bongo uh, on that show. And at the time, you know, this was back when it was running originally, thinking how cool a game that looked, uh, and I couldn't wait to play it. I think I did finally find it in an arcade somewhere, and it was pretty fun. I have yet to play it on the Atari, though. Bally Midway also offers Up and Down, Spy Hunter, I guess that's it for this uh, manual. Spy Hunter, I think I've played, too. I don't think I've played Up and Down. Anyway, so that's how you play Tapper. It's actually pretty intuitive, right? I think you wouldn't really even need to read the menu, or read the manual. You could just uh, start the game and catch on pretty quickly to what you're supposed to be doing. Wikipedia tells us that the game was produced in association with Budweiser. Interesting. Several variants of the game were released with similar gameplay, but different graphics and music. The first was the Budweiser branding, followed in 84 by Root Beer Tapper, which was developed specifically for arcades because the original version was construed as advertising alcohol to minors, since many of the games appeared in video game arcades. Duh. Developer Marvin Glass and Associates filed a patent in 1984 covering the game and variants granted in 1987. Tapper was ported to the Apple II, the Atari 8-bit family, the Atari 5200, 2600, uh, the BBC Micro ColecoVision, Commodore 64, MSX, uh, XZ Spectrum, IBM PC, and Amstrad CPC. Most of the home versions of Tapper feature the Mountain Dew logo, like mine, while the ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC versions have the Pepsi logo. Of course, now, maybe then too, I guess, Pepsi and Mountain Dew are one company, right? So... That makes sense. But they retained the bartender character of the original arcade game instead of the soda jerk in Rupert Tapper. Yeah, there's nothing in this manual you know, that we just went through that really very well hides the fact that this is a bartender in a bar uh, with mugs of beer. Computel's Gazette recalled the Commodore 64 version of Tapper one of the most addictive games we've seen lately, not only fun to play, but also immensely challenging, graphically entertaining, and full of action. The magazine stated that it's a very well-designed strategy game. Include that it was near the top in entertainment value. Uh, I agree that's very entertaining and addictive and fun to play. I don't know if there's a whole lot of strategy involved. I guess there's some timing issues with, you know, how long you can let, you know, when a customer drains his mug and sends the mug back down the bar towards you, how long you can go, you know, serving other customers before you have to go grab that thing. You know, that kind of thing, I guess, but I, I don't see a whole lot of strategy. Rip Beer Tapper was included in the Nintendo 64 version of Midway's Greatest Arcade Hits, Arcade's Greatest Hits, Midway Collection 2 for the PlayStation, Midway Arcade Treasures for PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube, and Microsoft Windows, and Midway Arcade Origins for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Rip Beer Tapper was released on Microsoft's Xbox Live Arcade service for Xbox 360 uh, in 2007 and has since been delisted. A modern interpretation, reinterpretation of the game for mobile devices titled Tapper World Tour was released in 2011. The art style is almost identical to a previous game called Domino Man and a following game called Timber. The main character in Timber is a rework to the main character in Tapper. 
The art is based on Mike Ferris, an artist who taught Scott Morrison art. The game also inspired the programmers of Plants vs. Zombies, and Tapper is one of the featured games in Disney's computer animated film, Wreck-It Ralph. I don't remember that. The Tom Mix software company made a clone called Brewmaster for the TRS-80 color computer. Michael Ward scored 9,068,625 points as verified by Twin Galaxies on July 3, 1985. Ward held the record for 18 years until Gregory Irway on June, June 20, 2003 surpassed the record with a score of 9,100,175. He had the record for two years until December 5, 2005 when Kelly Tharp of Louisville, Kentucky achieved a score of 9,100,175 which is the exact same score, in Humble, Texas, at Totally Amused. This was at a Twin Galaxies-sponsored event called the Golden Age Showdown. The marathon game was authenticated by videotape and also by Twin Galaxies referees Dwayne Richard of Canada and Walter Day of Ottumwa, Iowa. Hey, I used to live there. Tharp had the record for 10 more years until William Snowflake Rosa of Vermilion, Ohio got a score of 10,361,550, on October 18, 2015, officially recognized 10 days later on the 8th. The marathon lasted 19 hours, 42 minutes, and 24 seconds. took place at uh, Full Blast Arcade in North Ridgeville, North Ridgeville, Ohio, and the score also, as with the others, was certified by Twin Galaxies. Rosa had the record for two years until the current Tapper World Record, at least the last time this Wikipedia entry was updated, was set by Lauren Featherstone with a score of 14 million 600 points. This record took place at Free Play Arcade in Arlington, Texas on July 15th, 2017. So yeah, six months ago or so. Five months. Uh, Dear Tate. So that's pretty cool. I'm a long way off from getting 14 million points. But I do see myself playing this game more. I, I, I like it. And I'm not the only one. The video game critic, uh, first of all, I'm envious because he says he has a full-size Tapper arcade machine that allows him to make... So- almost literally a side-by-side comparison between the Atari version and the arcade version, and he knows, of course, the graphics take a hit uh, when you go from the arcade game. But the graphics are pretty good, pretty darn good, in his words, as Atari 2600 titles go. The patrons are single-colored and blocky, but the bartender drinks and kegs are multicolored and finely detailed. The bonus stage, with the Hamburglar-looking dude, hey, I said that too, shaking up cans, looks particularly impressive. A harmonized soundtrack plays throughout the game, but it's slightly off-key and does get on your nerves after a while. Unlike the arcade version, there are no t- tips to grab, but the dancing girls do make an appearance between stages. It would be a must-have 2600 title if not for one major flaw. You can only throw two beers at a time. To compensate the game remembers when you try to throw a third and automatically tosses it at the next opportunity, unless you move your bartender first. This can throw off your rhythm. You get used to it, but it puts a damper on the action. He is impressed, however, that all four stages are reproduced, including the Space Cantina. All in all, this is a very respectable version of the fun arcade hit, and I like the reference to the Space Cantina myself, uh, given that I'm in a Star Wars mood right now, uh, having just seen The Last Jedi. So, thanks for that, video game critic. Atari Proto says, Beer and video games, they seem like they were made for each other. Instead of shying away from the alcohol taboo, Tapper embraced it. The controls are simple. And the version contains all four levels from the arcade game, which we've talked about. This is pretty amazing considering Sega's penchant for cutting levels. All the actions and gameplay were well implemented, with one big exception. In the arcade version, patrons would occasionally leave tips. Okay, so the, he's upset about the tip thing too. When you were running for the money, in the arcade version, you could not throw beers. 
or catch empty glasses. You had to decide how badly you wanted those extra points. While the graphics may not be the prettiest, the 2600 version tamper really keeps with the spirit of the original game. The gameplay is mostly intact, and the detailed and the dreaded flicker is kept to a minimum. Tapper is proof that the 2600 was capable of handling challenging arcade conversions. I guess it's true what they say. Beer and Atari really do go together. I'm not enjoying a beer at the moment. I'm enjoying an original New York seltzer raspberry flavor for you, those of you keeping score. But it does go fizz. Let's see if I can make it go fizz. Eh, the fizz is kind of leftist, I guess. Story of my life. All right. Well, New Year's Eve is in full swing. We're just waiting for the ball to drop. Straightening our tie. Let's pour another beer. And after the break, see if the bubbles tickle our nose. Or something. After the break, set them up, bartender. I'm buying. Can I borrow $20? If you or someone you know is a soda bandit with a fetish for dressing like the Hamburglar and hanging out in Old West saloons, jock bars, punk bars, or space bars, and can't stop yourself from shaking down hardworking bartenders for quote-unquote soda, there is help available. Or you could just buy me a round. Sorry, I got lost in the catchy tune. I haven't had any soda yet today, I promise. game a lot. Yay, Dancing Girls! Who doesn't like Dancing Girls? Like, not liking puppies. Or, ooh, dancing puppies. That would be cool. That guy's sending his beer back, jerk. I had to deal with that guy, and so the beer fell off the other bar. I'm playing on the beginning uh, level for demonstration purposes. Not because I'm bad or anything. Quit sending your beer bad guy. Sorry, your soda. This is a game that walks kind of a fine line, right? This is an arcade game aimed at kids about a bartender. That was 
dumb. I'm a little excited. I misfired my beer. Can happen to anybody. Uh oh. I guess that was it. That's the end of the game. Alright, well, alright. I'm a little tipsy on all this soda. So, uh, I'm gonna go lie down for a while. Back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about Tapper. The thing that's really great about it is that it's simple but addictive, right? There's not a lot of complicated strategy involved. Um, there's not a lot of complicated rules. The stuff on the screen looks like the stuff that it's supposed to be, so you're not confused where you're going or what you're doing at any given moment. Uh, it's an easy to pick up and play game that looks fun and is fun to play. And that's really all you want from an Atari game. So I am very happy with this one. I'm sure it is one that I will return to frequently. Unlike a few others I can mention, Amadar. So, I, I know you guys probably pretty much know all about this game already. If you don't already have it in your collection, though, uh, change that. Then make that your New Year's resolution. Uh, and now I think it's time to ring in the new year with a little poetry. Get your sensitivity on for the new year with a little thing that we're calling the Ballad of the Root Beer. Filling a mug in the world today takes everything you've got. Not having to worry about glass breakage sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go. Where all the beer mugs do get drained. And patrons are always glad you're fermented grain. You want to be where beer goggles see. Mating troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody's mugs get drained. You want to go where bartenders know how to sling those beers for fame. You want to go where everybody's mugs get drained. You want to go where bartenders know how to fling beers. They got game. You want to go where everybody's mug gets drained. Making your way in the bar today takes everything you've got. That mugs could break is a big worry. Sure does happen a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? All those nights when huge lines form to the right, the bartenders just can't fail. And the bar top angle is a difficult shot to nail. And the third mug crashed below. Sometimes you want to go. Where everybody's mug gets drained. And patrons demand more of the same. You want to be where through glass you see. Our bubbles are all the same. You want to be where everybody's mug gets drained. Roll off the bar. Bartender's dead. The room is looking bright. And the patrons ran off without tipping. And didn't even say goodnight. And your keg is a bit skunky. Be glad there's one place in the world where the bartenders know your name and the beer flows to great acclaim. You want to go where bartenders know how to shoot a beer. What aim? You want to go where everybody's mug gets drained. Cheers, everybody. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Comtech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the show on our Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And, of course, uh, Atari Bytes is now on Instagram. The Atari Bytes podcast is available on more or less any podcatcher you're going to want, including, uh, most recently, Spotify and SoundCloud. 
And don't forget to crack open a beverage and leave a gushy, tipsy review of the show on iTunes to help the other uh, barflies flock to our show. Then, tell a six-pack of your friends about us. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page, or by picking up Go Play Some Old Games They've Missed You shirts and other stuff at our Zazzle.com store, uh, ab underscore pod underscore store. And if you have time, check out my other podcast, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Snoopy-related needs. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Vanguard. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Goodbye, 2017. Hello, 2018. Oh, 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 oh,